What's up, everybody? Welcome back uh, to By the Numbers. Uh, today is July 5th, um, and a lot has happened in the NBA world, at least since our last episode. Um, obviously, we last recorded after the conclusion of the NBA Finals, but um, since then, the NBA draft has occurred, um, as well as the uh, the first week and a half of NBA free agency. So lots of uh, topics to go over. Uh, but before we do that, um, Kevin and uh, Noah, how are we doing? Doing well, doing well. Excited to talk about all the free agency uh, excitement going on. You know, like I like to say, it's kind of like our version of keeping up with the Kardashians, all the drama going on, especially with KD. We'll see where that ends up. I don't know. Uh, yeah, good. It just seems like every NBA offseason, like I didn't think that much was going to happen. And just all hell breaks loose when Kevin Durant, like top five player in the league, says he wants to go somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, a lot, definitely a lot going on. For sure. Uh, so, I guess to kick off, just to preface, uh, not much going on with with uh, the Cats right now. Um, you know, just getting ready for the season. Obviously, I'm I'm sure they're having workouts and whatnot. One one encouraging thing is I did see Justin Moore on a, a treadmill, which is very interesting. Just because like I think he just had surgery, so not a bad sign for his recovery timetable. Uh, but good to uh, mention that as well, just because we we need him back. Um, but. To kind of kick things off, I think it'd be smart to quickly go over the big takeaways of uh, the NBA draft. Um, kind of a surprise at the top. Uh, we can start with that. Uh, I think a lot of people expected, I mean, by people, I mean just the media, so people that know very little, but pe- uh, people expected Jabari Smith um, out of Auburn to go number one to Orlando, uh, primarily because of his floor. Um, he's basically guaranteed to be an awesome 3 and D player in the NBA, but um, obviously, uh, the the Orlando Magic saw more in uh, Paolo Bancaro from 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 Duke. Uh, so just just to kick off, uh, what are our reactions on Bancaro? Um, basically, on draft night, leapfrogging um, the perceived number one pick, Jabari Smith. I thought it was the right pick, but I want to hear what you guys what you guys have to say first. Um, I mean, I, I can understand. It. I probably like in terms of because because. I feel like there's different ways of viewing prospects from like a, you know, high, or do you want to get to the guy with the highest ceiling, the guy with the highest, like 50% outcome. So, so the guy that you think could succeed at the highest level. So I think Jabari Smith is a guy that you could, that if there's one of the top three guys that I want to bet on is going to be a solid productive NBA player, you know, 10 years in the future, I'd pick Jabari Smith out of the three. If I were going to pick on, you know, pure upside, then I think you're, you have a conversation between Chad Holmgren and, uh, Paolo Bancaro. I am a. I'd prefer Holmgren personally, but I, I can definitely understand where the match are coming from, and especially in a team that's kind of missing a key piece. I think it totally makes sense to take a swing on a guy that, you know, realistically, if he gets his kind of shooting percentages up, like he's a pretty lethal scorer. Like, I mean, he's got a nice jump shot. He's super athletic. He's got an NBA body. I mean, he the high end outcomes is is a pretty like you know, keystone piece for this Orlando Magic team. So I, I definitely get it, um, especially from the perspective of, of not having a guy like that. So so adding that piece uh, definitely makes sense from the Magic perspective. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, they made the right choice in my eyes um, because when you think about the number one overall pick, uh, you, you don't take a player with a perceived, like, limited upside over a player that could be something more. And I think Bancaro, obviously, like, we can talk about um, – you know, Chet Holmgren having the highest the highest ceiling in the, in the class, Jabari Smith being the draft's safest player. Uh, but it's pretty obvious that if Bancaro becomes the best version of himself, um, he'll be the best player from this draft just because there's a there's a certain bankable value tied to a power forward who's 6'10 and plays like a guard. Um, he's got, like, like if, if nothing else, he has by far the most NBA-ready frame of basically anybody in this class. I mean, he's, he's 6'10", 250, um, can shoot from the outside, lead the break in transition. Um, and most importantly, he can score in the half court in a variety of ways. I think that was the biggest issue with Smith and Holmgren is that, you know, for all, for all like good they are in, in other aspects for Holmgren, it's, it's uh, rim protection. And for Smith, it's uh, three-point shooting they were both very limited in the way that, that, that they could make an impact in the half court offense. Um, 
Bancaro is not that. He he can be a he can be the number one option on a contending team in theory because of his frame and what he showed in college and his self-creation skills, his isolation scoring from all three levels. Um, and the Magic just needed a player like him. They 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 needed someone who they can like put their fortunes in as a team. I think in the past they've kind of fallen in love too much with like physical tools. Like you saw them do that with uh, Jonathan Isaac, uh, Muhammad Bamba. Like th- those are good players, but neither of them is like is like face of a franchise. Like that can be Bankero more than anybody else in the class. So I thought they made the right decision when it was all said and done. Um, like Chet Holmgren, I think is another player that I, I am, I love Chet Holmgren. Yeah, partially is because he's from Minnesota. Uh, but two is like, I think he just gets like an insane amount of hate for like very little reason. Like he was incredibly effective in college. He was one of the most like, like efficient shot blockers in the history of college basketball in his one year. Shot over 35% from three. So obviously the, the potential for him to be an above average shooter is already there. And there's just not many players who are seven foot one who can bring the ball up in transition, pass the ball like a point guard and protect the rim like Rudy Gobert. So it's like, yeah, you're going to roll the dice on a player like that. And if the number one downside of a prospect is the fact that he's not 200 pounds when he's 18 years old, like that can be said about basically like 90% of human beings alive. So like he's going to have time to like grow into his body with an NBA dietitian. And if he does like, he landed in the perfect spot, I think, in OKC, where they're not expected to win right away. You know, he's going to get two to three years uh, to bulk up and, you know, to get his feet wet in, in uh, the NBA before he's asked to be the face of that franchise, uh, where I think, you know, both Houston and Orlando are a bit further along in the rebuilds than OKC. Um, and I just people people should should buy all the Chet Holmgren stock right now, uh, because I think a lot of the hate for him will die down once he gets on an, an NBA floor. I mean, like think of the players who had issues about their weight coming into the NBA, like, like Kevin Durant and Giannis I think they turned out pretty well. So like, I, like he's a player I think that is, is going to be fine in time. Um, and I think he landed in a great spot in, in OKC. Um, but I wanted to talk about it as well. Jaden Ivey fell to the, the fifth pick. Um, we all have seen the graphic of like, players picked right after the Kings draft pick. Like I know we can all point to like uh, Damian Lillard going to pick after the Kings took Thomas Robinson or uh, Luca being the pick after they took Marvin Bagley. So this might be a, a, a similar situation to where they passed on uh, Jaden Ivey in favor of Keegan Murray, who was the perceived better roster fit. Um, so Kevin or Noah, what, what were your thoughts on, on Sacramento passing on, on Ivy at a fourth overall? Yeah. So I, this could definitely, I agree, look bad in the future, especially because I think a lot of people, including myself, probably had Jaden Ivy above or like perception above, uh, Keegan Murray in terms of just pure, you know, draft board perspective, uh, Keegan Murray plays a more valuable position. You can say that, um, as a wing. And I mean, you can make the argument, I, I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, Keegan Murray was a guy that was kind of going crazy against non-conference opponents, against teams that aren't, weren't really good. And everybody, you know, thought that he was going to slow down going into conference play and they just really just kept it up. And it was kind of a, a monster all season on the scoring side of the things. He, he uses his, his his body, his strength a little bit to his advantage when scoring, which is, you know, we'll see how that translates to an NBA environment. But um, I, it, it is absurd. That they're dra- like, if you're the Kings, you cannot be drafting for fit right now. I, I'm, I'm, it's really just trying to figure out kind of what the perception of the Kings is from the Kings perspective. Like this is a team that's rebuilding. It's a team that's trying to win now because they do have Sabonis on the roster. Like, you know, Darren Fox is probably part of that core. And I mean, not drafting Jay Nivey because you have Davion Mitchell and, and Darren Fox is just absurd for the actual place that that organization in. So, you know, I expect the front, somebody in the front office could be getting fired in the next couple of years anyway. Um, not, necessarily because of this pick, but the, the team, the roster construction isn't great anyway. But uh, yeah, this could be, you know, I don't know if this could look as like, I, I feel like this could be a, a reasonable, reasonable pick and there's a reasonable likelihood that humor is a great player. Um, and then Jaden Ivey is, you know, similar. I don't know if they're you know too far apart, but there is definitely an outcome where this looks really awful. And I don't, if you're picking with the fourth overall pick, you're probably not in a situation where you're drafting for fit, I think. 
Yeah, that's my thing. Is like, like I actually agree with the fact that the Kings that Ivy did not fit on their backcourt at all. Like, I don't think Davion Mitchell or uh, De'Aaron Fox are seen as like at like in any case like a like a shoot first player, which Ivy isn't either. So it isn't the fact that they passed on Ivy that's the issue for me. It's the fact that they could have extracted so much value from that selection from other teams trying to trade up. Like if the Knicks were if, – if, if OKC was willing to trade the Knicks three first-round picks to get to pick number 11, like, like just imagine what they would have given up to get the fourth pick. Like if I'm the Sacramento, I'm not one player away from being a title-contending team. Um, so if, if – like even moving down one slot, like they, they could have gotten a future first-round pick, I guarantee it, from Detroit moving down one spot. Because Detroit wanted Ivy, just like everybody else did. Like, this was a four-player class. Like, it was pretty clear that there was a tier, and it ended at Ivy. And they didn't want him. So it's like staying at that pick and taking Keegan Murray and basically saying to the rest of the NBA, we value the 2% chance we don't get Keegan Murray over, like, five first-round picks that we could have gotten from the from the Knicks to move up. Like, I... I just think that was a massive mistake by them. And I don't think Keegan Murray is a player that is like going to change the fortunes of your franchise. I think Jay Ivey has a lot higher potential to do that, even if he doesn't fit with your team. So I was of the mindset of like, if you, if you're not going to trade the pick, take Ivy and then trade him preseason. Like if like, think about this, if Kevin Durant becomes available, like he did, there's not many players in the league right now that would be more valuable as a trade asset than Jaden Ivey. So the Kings could have been like, we'll give you Jaden Ivey, Harrison Barnes, and Davion Mitchell and two first-round picks for Kevin Durant. And that wouldn't have been like a terrible package. Like that, that package looks a hell of a lot worse if it's Keegan Murray in place of Jaden Ivey. But if the whole point of the Kings like philosophy is to win now and to get these like win now players, like that was the way to go about it instead of just taking Keegan Murray for the sake of convenience, which I think is what, which is what they did. So I didn't like it. Um, but I think if we're talking draft winners and losers, I think there's no bigger winner in this draft than the Pistons. I think they did an absolutely incredible job. Um, just to recap what they did. They traded Jeremy Grant for a future first-round pick to the Blazers. It was pretty clear that uh, Jeremy Grant did not fit the Kate Cunningham timeline, so to get that pick was a good move. They then flipped that pick to get J- uh, Jalen Duran from 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 the Knicks, actually, uh, which is, I think, one of the best moves of the entire draft. I mean, you you take a future back end of the first-round pick because the pick was from Milwaukee to get a guy in Jalen Duran who is considered the number one center behind or the number two center in the class behind Chet Holmgren. Now all of a sudden you have a starting five all under the age of 25 and it's Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Sadiq Bay, Marvin Bagley, and Jalen Duran. I mean, your team is exponentially better than it was before draft night. And it was all because of Troy Weaver being patient, letting the Kings be the Kings and just, taking who, who was there. So I think they're, they're the clear winners of this draft um, based on their ability to get both Ivy and Durant. You know, those are two top 10 talents without a question. And to get them without sacrificing their own picks down the line um, was an absolute heist by, by that franchise. But um, besides that, Noah, do you have any selections that you thought were particularly good in terms of player fit, you know, draft value? Um, like in the first round, because um, I have one more, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, just in terms of the first round, in terms of like, I think there's an interesting like piece of arbitrage. I know there's some weird picks in the top 15, but looking in the lottery, I think the Hornets did a, a decent job. Um, I, I'm a bigger fan of Mark Williams and other people, but um, I mean, it kind of depends where you feel like the, the delta is between Mark Williams and Jalen Barron as center prospects. Like, I think, you know, either way, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it pans out, but I think, you know, the Hornets had 13 and 15 pick take Duran at 13, trade him to the Pistons and then still get a center who they like something they badly needed and being able to bring in some other draft assets. I think that was a, a pretty smart move. Um, and then also being able to bring in 
uh, Bryce McGowan's in the second round, I think is a, is a decent pickup as well. So um, I, a bit of a sneaky kind of under the radar type thing that happened in the, in the first round, but uh, I do think that was a good fit um, in, the, in terms of just kind of some, some interesting opportunities within the top 15. Yeah. I also love that. I, I love the McGowan's pick in round two. I think he, you know, he's, he's kind of what the NBA is like looking for. It's um, it's uh, um, sorry. I love He's a six, seven wing. Right. And it's like, if you want guys that can guard the Jason Tatum's Jalen Brown's the world taking, taking wings that are six, seven and like super athletic and long is a good start. So I love that selection. I think that was a big time value pick in round two. Um, my favorite draft uh, pick in the first round was Malachi Branham at number 20, I guess 20, 22 overall, um, or was it 20 overall uh, to, to a San Antonio? Um, I think he's going to be Chris Middleton 2.0. I've like said that before. He moves like him. He plays like him. Um, if, if there's one thing that you can bank on an NBA player being a productive player, it's his ability to hit shots. And he might be the most efficient scorer in this draft. I mean, he shot over 80% from the free throw line in college, which is pretty indicative of a player's like natural, like touch. Um, also shot over 40% from three as an 18 year old rookie or first year player in college. Um, I can see him becoming a very productive, like number two, number three option on a contending NBA team one day. Um, and to get a player of that caliber outside the lottery was a pretty great value pick by the Spurs, especially uh, because of their decision to trade to like DeJounte Murray. I think that they're going to need all the guard depth that they can get, um, especially because they let uh, Lonnie Walker Jr. walk as well in a, in a free agency. So that might be a good segue, actually, to talk about uh, free agency. Um, I guess a good place to start was the first domino to fall was, to, was to DeJounte Murray being traded to the Hawks. Um, I'll kick this one off here. Uh, basically, the package was the, the Spurs received three unprotected first-round picks and two pick swaps. So think of the Drew Holiday package that uh, that the that that the Pelicans received from uh, the Bucks. This is like very similar. Um, we all know how that worked out for the Bucks. They won they won the uh, title the next year. Um, I absolutely love the fit in Atlanta. Um, I know people are going to argue that they gave up too much draft capital, but to not include John Collins in that trade and to get um, a player of 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 uh, Murray's caliber who's not only an amazing player in his own right, in terms of like, he's an all-star point guard. He, there's no better fit with for, for Trey young in the backcourt than Murray. I mean, he, he's might be the best defensive guard in the NBA. Um, an absolute shutdown perimeter defender who has like a six ten wingspan as a point guard. Um, not a great shooter, but he doesn't have to be with Trey young, like cashing threes from 50 feet. Um, Murray is going to immediately improve the Hawks defense exponentially and guard the other team's best guard every single night. Um, he's also a great passer, which will be great playing off Trey young. Yeah. Like the next three years of Hawks draft picks are not going to be there, but if you're trying to contend for championships, like picks are pretty insignificant. Like you can now sell players to ring chase on coming to Atlanta in free agency because of the acquisition of DeJounte Murray and I think it might be a precursor of things to come. I mean, John Collins was in was in uh, trade talks before the draft. So uh, watch out for this. I think they did this trade and they kept John Collins out of this trade um, to package him and Clint Capella to Phoenix for DeAndre. We'll see if that happens, but I think that's the reason. The last thing I'll say about this before passing it off to you guys is I think the Spurs are doing all of this. Uh, to uh, be as bad as possible next season, to have as good as odds, odds as possible to get Victor Wembanyama from France. He is basically universally regarded as the best NBA draft prospect since LeBron James. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to go into him. He is basically, Jan, he's, he's, he is Chet Holmgren if he was like 20 pounds heavier and two inches taller. So he's a perfect draft prospect. And I think they traded him to get his best a shot to get a franchise changing like talent like that in the draft. So I loved it for, for both sides for that reason. But I want to hear what you, Kevin or Noah have to say about Murray or anybody else um, in, uh, in this first part of a free agency as well. Yeah. I love the fit as well. I think he, 
you know, provides a lot for Trey Young. And I think uh, Atlanta just will be that much more dangerous. The whole Eastern Conference just seems to be getting much more dangerous. We'll see what happens with Kevin Durant, which I'm really excited to get into. But, um, you know, I think Atlanta was just one piece away, like we saw them a couple of years ago. And I think this could really help put them over the edge. I do think that they they did give up quite a bit. I like Gallinari and how many picks they got four uh, first round. Three, three unprotected first, two swaps. So I guess five technically. Okay. So, so they did give, give up quite a bit, but it's, it's pretty clear that the Spurs have no interest in, uh, in, you know, pursuing and, and they don't really need to be hogging a, a talent like Murray. And I think he's, he's best fit on a team that's ready to win now in Atlanta and, uh, as a Celtics fan, I'm not excited to see that type of competition in the Eastern Conference, but um, you know it's good for the league, and it'll be interesting to see how um, how that fit can mesh, which I think it will be pretty good in Atlanta this year. I just want to add one more thing. I I think it's a little bit steep. I mean, I understand like in terms of just being able to get an All Star purely, but I, I did hear this once where it's like if you could take the best parts of Trey Young and the best parts of Dejounte Murray, you'd have like the perfect guard. But then on either side of the floor, it's like Trey Young's still going to be like a gap on defense and DeJounte Murray's still going to be kind of a, a dead, you know, deadpan on offense. Like he's a career 33% three-point shooter. And I mean, I think it's just going to be, I, I, it could be problematic. I know that the Hawks, their defense was kind of the, the big, you know, sticking point last year and they needed to up that. Um, but, you know, that DeJounte Murray now, no more Gallinari, looks like Kevin Herter's out the door as well. So um, I'm going to be interested to see how this team plays now. Um, I could be potentially interested in seeing them. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if that – I could see a coaching change coming in their future as well. I, I've never been a, a big fan. What, what's his name? The the uh, old Pacers guy. Yeah, I, I think it's Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan, yeah. I, I could – there's a plausible outcome where this doesn't go very well, I think. But um, if it does click, if that's, that's like a top – backcourt in the league, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's a risk. I think what made it easier to swallow was A.J. Griffin falling to them in the draft because he was basically the most efficient three-point shooter in the entire class. So it allowed them to make Herter expendable and to kind of sacrifice some outside shooting in their backcourt. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of who was available on the market that would plausibly upgrade the Hawks for the, for the future – I think Murray was the best possible player that they could get. So I, I applaud them for taking that step. Um, can we talk about Rudy Gobert? Do you, like, is that cool? Yeah, I was about to say in terms of uh, another thing is like my, my perception of how much players are worth are a little bit warped now that this Rudy yeah. Gobert trade has happened. So like I'm a Timberwolves fan. Uh, I was telling Noah before the episode, like we, we have been stuck in this like mediocrity for so long to where we've either been so bad that we've gotten franchise changing players like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, or we've been just bad enough to be in the middle of the lottery and get like the Jarrett Culver's of the world. Um, let's just be honest. Like we gave up, like we gave up uh, like so like there, we gave up like the biggest package we possibly could have given. Um, which honestly, if you look at it, isn't as bad as it seems to be. Um, for one, getting a three-time defensive player of the year um, is go- usually will take at least one intriguing young player who could be a part of the next generation of Utah Jazz basketball. They didn't really get anybody who qualifies as that. Maybe Jared Vanderbilt, but he's more of an accessory piece. Same with Walker Kessler, who for all he is, like he's a great shot blocker. Um, but he's not really an offensive threat that could really be a next star for them. Um, we gave up basically the package was a bunch of rotation backup players like Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, and then five first round picks, three of which are unprotected picks and two swaps as well. Um, so just to kick off, we we had two first-round picks this year. We kept Wendell Moore in the trade, which I loved because I think Wendell Moore is going to be a super important wing depth piece this year. We also kept Jaden McDaniels, who is one of the most intriguing young wings in the NBA. 
he's not a big deal in the national media because he plays in Minnesota, but he was very good in the playoffs this year and he's going to be a crucial piece for us to contend right away. Um, in terms of the on-court fit, it's just, it's a leap because if you look at the way the NBA is going, it's going small ball, small ball, small ball. Warriors would basically play nobody over six, nine. And then they, and then they just won the championship. And now the Timberwolves realistically have two of the top four, like big men in the NBA um, who are completely opposite players. So you, you basically have the Trey Young, DeJounte Murray pairing, but in the front court, because you have probably the best big man shooter when it's going to be all said and done ever in Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Um, and then the league's ultimate rim protector in uh, Rudy Gobert, who's going to erase all of the issues that Carl Anthony Towns has had throughout his career defensively. I mean, it's been pretty clear for Cat um, that he cannot be a defensive anchor. Uh, his, his instincts aren't there. He has he had a massive issue with uh, foul trouble this year. I don't think anybody uh, fouled out as much as Cat did this year. So having Gobert back there to kind of erase issues of his defense is going to be so big for him. Um, and then you know we in, we are a small market. Like we're not Boston, we're not Miami, we're not New York. We can't just go and recruit Kevin Durant to come want to resign with us. It was time for us to go all in, right? I mean, we just signed Cat to a massive ex- extension. Anthony Edwards is about to get his own money. Now is the time for us to build on our playoff appearance next year and go for it. Um, and I think Gobert, with having four years left on his contract, was the best possible upgrade that we could have gotten to make that leap. And yes, we had to pay an absolutely enormous price to get him. And in three years, I might be looking back on this and saying, yeah, we lost out on the value, right? The Jazz won the value side of the trade. Um, but the short-term reaction is like, Basketball is as fun as it has ever been in Minnesota right now because of the talent that we have on this team. And a starting five of D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns, and Gobert is maybe the best starting five in the Western Conference on paper. Like it it might not be, but it has an argument to be at that in that conversation. Um, and like there was a time where the Timberwolves started a starting five of Luke Ridnour, Alexi Shved, Nikola Pekovic, Andre Kirilenko, and Kevin Love. Like that isn't even that isn't even a an a, a NBL like starting lineup. So the fact that we've come this far, I think, is a huge testament to our front office having faith in Chris Finch, our coach, to go all in on a player like Gobert. And you know, for what it's worth, there there might be a, a, a situation in the playoffs where our size gets exposed and we're not able to guard players on the perimeter and all of that. But I'm okay rolling the dice on that happening because on paper, we are so much better than we were last year and we're going for it. And there's now like a non-zero chance that we can contend for an NBA title next year. Um, And it might not work, but the point is it might. And, and I, (laughs) I'm just excited, man. It was a really great thing that we did to like make a move like that. And the cool part of it is like Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns and Gobert are signed together for four more years. And like, while we might not have the cap space to go out and get another max player, like it isn't like we were attracting those kinds of players anyway. Like we're from Minnesota. So I think like, it's as good as we possibly could have gotten. And I'm excited to see how the uh, pairing plays out uh, next season, but but to kind of transition over to what I think we all want to talk about Kevin Durant. um, The the one thing that the Gobert trade did do is it upped the price a hell of a lot more on Kevin Durant. Um, Because now if, if Gobert's getting five first round picks and then some like the price for Kevin Durant has got to start at, you know, if, if Boston, is looking to get Kevin Durant, it's going to cost Jalen Brown, which Kevin, I don't know if you want to give up that. Like, what are your thoughts on, on possibly getting Kevin Durant? Yeah. So, so the, the thing I, the thing about Kevin Durant on the Celtics is yes, it would be brilliant and we would maybe even be favored to win a championship, but there's two sides to it, right? So there's, it would be great to have a championship, 
but I don't really want to have Kevin Durant come in and it be Kevin Durant's championship that he won for the city of Boston for like this one year on a whim that he came to Boston. Like I am proud of the fact that we drafted Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and like these guys who got us to the finals and um, showed their heart. And uh, I think, but the flip side of that is I want to win a championship and that is one great way to do it is with Kevin Durant. Um, I don't know what we would have to give up for him. I just know that uh, we've just been building so much and I don't think it would make a lot of sense for the Celtics to give up a player like Jalen Brown with the future that he has and um, whatever else we would have to give up um, for a player who clearly doesn't um, have any interest in sticking around a team for more than a few years. Um, and so I, I think it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for the Celtics to go for him. And honestly, I don't see a path for him to, unless yeah, yeah, since he's getting traded, I don't really see a great path for him to make it on a team without decimating the team along the way with the trade that they would have to give up for him. That's my point is like, where does he think he's going to go? That is going to be a, better talent situation than what he has in Brooklyn. Like for all you want to say about Ben Simmons, like a Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving core is a competitive team. Like that, that team, if everything goes right with Seth Curry and Joe Harris and, and Patty Mills around them can win a championship. And so his idea of like trying to force himself to like Phoenix, like, I don't know. Like, are they going to get Kevin Durant without giving up Booker? Like, Probably not. Like, they'd have to start with, like, DeAndre Ayton, Macau Bridges, and Picks. But, like, that isn't going to be enough with how much Gobert was just traded for. Um, and, like, on your point, uh, Kevin, I completely agree. Like, I I don't think a renting – like, the like the biggest issue as to why the Boston did not win the, the uh, championship this year was their, one, lack of a true point guard, which they've already solved by trading for Malcolm Brogdon, which we can get to that later. Um, but it's also just like Jason Tatum growing into an alpha number one option on a championship team. Like, I actually just think it's, it's mental growth from Jason Tatum to not take two shots in it, like in the second half of a game six of the NBA finals. Like that's the issue. Like Jalen Brown showed up, but the reason why Boston was so good was their defense was just so incredible. And for the, the fact that Kevin Durant is like one of the greatest scorers ever, He's not exactly known as a defender. So I don't even think it would make you guys like that much better on paper than you were last season, just because Jalen Brown plays on both sides of the court. Um, So, yeah, like, I mean, I completely agree with you. Do you guys like, where do you think he would go? Like, I mean, he said that he wanted to go to like a contending team with multiple all-stars. So like Miami could be an option. Uh, Memphis has been like a, like a sleeper option for him. Uh, obviously uh, Boston and Phoenix, but like the point remains, like I don't think Kevin Durant has much leverage at all, considering that he has four years left on his contract with the Nets. And like the Nets don't have to trade him if they don't want to, if they don't get the package in return that they require, which by all accounts is going to be the other team's best player. So what are your guys' opinions on where he could go next? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, there's a decent chance that he just ends up on the Nets next year. I mean, Kyrie Irving's already opted in. I know they're trying to facilitate a trade to the Lakers, but there's a good chance that this Nets team is just what this Nets team currently looks like for another year because, I mean, they're just all on contract. Uh, but I think the the two teams that he had on his list specifically were the Suns and the Heat, and I want to also introduce the the Pelicans and the uh, and the Raptors as potential options. The Raptors, I think, have enough young assets to be able to provide that in a trade, and I also think that the Pelicans could – do something around Brandon Ingram. Um, and, and if the Nets were to trade Kevin Durant, I think, you know, with this Royce O'Neal trade that they made, it's kind of a key, you know, key indicator that the Nets are still trying to go for it. So if they're, tra- if they're trading Kevin Durant, it's not for, it's probably not going to be true. Well, it could be for draft picks, but probably most likely they want to stay competitive and not completely. They're just signed TK Warren too. Oh yeah. on no, a one year deal. I mean, that's a, that's a prove it one year deal. I mean, they're they're trying to win, you know. Like they're they're not giving up right now. This is not like a blow it up situation, and I completely agree. I think they can. They have all the leverage to just say like, Kevin, you we literally own your rights to play in the NBA for four years. Like you can either play 
or if we're trading you, we're getting back Bam Adebayo or Devin Booker or Brandon Ingram or Jalen Brown. Like they're not going to sell low on KD just because KD wants out. You know? Yeah. The uh, I also wanted two interesting wrinkles to the situation with the Heat and the Suns around like cap stuff is like Bam Adebayo cannot be included in a trade for Kevin Durant unless Ben Simmons is outgoing. Ben Simmons and Bam Adebayo cannot both be playing for the Nets because you cannot have two designated rookie extensions acquired via trade on the same team. So if the Heat want to trade... Too, right? Uh, no, but for the Suns, it's Bam Adebayo can't... Not Bam Adebayo. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, because it's a sign-in trade, it runs up to issues like the hard cap. Because sign, if you acquire a player via sign-in trade, there's like different rules that apply. And so then that would probably have to involve a situation where DeAndre Aiden goes to like a third team and then the Nets get assets in a, you know, roundabout, like super complicated. I, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it, it all seems very complicated. And I mean, TJ Warren, I mean, uh, picking up Royce and, you know, I think was a, a pretty good pickup. I, they, they could just run it back one more year, honestly. I mean, you, you lose Kyrie Irving for nothing, uh, which is not ideal, but, as teams probably still could contend. I, I don't know. I think so too, dude. Like, and it's also, what are they going to get back from Kyrie? Like who wants Kyrie Irving besides the Lakers? Like, I don't like think of anybody wants basically like the universal worst teammate in the NBA when he's not playing with like LeBron. So the Lakers are the only team I think that can one, make the money work with Westbrook's contract and two would actually want Kyrie as part of their core. So I think Kyrie, you're right. I think Kyrie is much more likely to get traded than KD just because they have a lot less leverage with, with Kyrie. And I like, if I'm Sean Marks, like, like I'm not married to the idea of Kyrie, like being a franchise icon for me. Like all he's done is been a massive distraction to winning basketball games the last two years. So, you know, I don't think it's so funny the idea of like Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving being traded for each other because like they're both just such problematic players like they don't make your team like actually better they just like kind of cause issues in different ways for you um but yeah like I mean it's it's all very interesting like I I don't know like there's no other contending team right now that I can point to and be like they would be a better team with Kyrie Irving on it than the Lakers because the Clippers are the other option because they've lacked a true point guard for like forever, but they just signed John wall. So I'm not sure where else he could like Washington maybe, but like, that seems like it's weird. Um, who knows, but it's all very interesting. I, one, one person I think that would be fun to talk to is, or talk about is uh Jalen Brunson going to the Knicks um, four years, 104 million. Kevin, what are your thoughts on that fit? Do you like him in uh, New York? I was just going to mention that because um, uh, we should have we should have said it in the uh, keeping up with the cast because we have that and Dante DiVincenzo going to the defending champions, Golden State Warriors. Um, huge, huge money for Jalen Brunson. I wanted him on the Celtics, but then I saw you got nine figure contract. So it's like, all right, well, maybe that one was impossible, but good for him. I mean, get your money, get your there's also so much, um, you know, opportunity for marketing and advertising money that you can get in the the big apple and um you know maybe uh maybe kevin Durant will uh join him across the city but i don't think it'll happen but uh, i think it's just great to see someone who's worked that hard throughout his career um cash in and and i think he'll do well and um in in uh, the nets i mean yeah i oh, the, i mean i totally agree i think he he, you know, he earned that. I mean, he had an, like an amazing playoff run. Um, from like a unbiased like perspective, like I do think it's a big overpay just because like I think I can name 15 point guards in the NBA better than Brunson right now. Um, and giving him over a hundred million dollars is just like hard to sell, especially if like you're the Knicks and you, he's not some like finishing touch on a roster like. Their two best players are RJ Barrett and uh, Julius Randle, who are not good enough to beat Miami, like Milwaukee, Boston, basically anybody who's like really good. Um, but I love it for Jalen. I mean, like you said, Kevin, like get his, get your money. 
Um, you know, it's, it's a big market close to home or closer to home, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that was a pretty, pretty insane contract for him. And I think it bodes well for the rest of like above average NBA point guards, um, to get a big contract if they time it right. Like, I I mean, if I'm sitting here and I'm like Tyrese Halliburton in like three years, like I'm going to get like $180 million, you know, get just, just, just because of that deal. And, um, yeah but that was a great contract. I, the, the one move I, I think is pretty much like universally great is the, is the Celtics getting Malcolm Brogdon for like three fringe rotation players and a back end of the next year's first round pick. Um, yeah. There's some injury concerns with him, but like he's big enough at six, five to not sacrifice any of the Celtics defense and he's also just exactly who Boston needed in the playoffs this year of a player who can control the tempo of the off, like a half court offense and like calm the offense down when when there's been multiple bad bad shots in a row. Um, man, I, I mean, like Brad Stevens, like talk about a roster with like zero holes. Getting to like Gallinari is like a complete no risk option off the bench, like offensively. Um, who could turn into like a better version of like Grant Williams, and then you and then you add Brogdon to a backcourt and move Pritchard into a backup role with with Marcus Smart, Brown, Brown, Tatum, like Al Horford, Rob Williams, like they're going to be right back there, and I, and like they'll they'll be right near the top of the Eastern Conference because of that. Um, and I I absolutely love that move. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I was just like, wow, like that was a great great value. Um, yeah. I think universally, the perspective, the the uh, Gobert price that we paid like five times the picks we gave up for for him, but yeah, yeah, I think I think universally it seems like everyone knows that that was exactly what the Celtics needed. This NBA Finals was a point guard who can you know control the tempo, thirty eight percent from three in his career, uh, averaged nineteen points per game. Um, and he has the free throw shooting, which we were really lacking um, in those later games in the finals. 85.6% last season, 88.6 throughout his career. And that's some of the best free throw shooting in the entire NBA. And so um, you get all that and you don't sacrifice on the size, which was such a huge advantage to us um, throughout the whole postseason. Um, and there's a lot of questions over whether or not he's going to start start over Marcus Smart and a little drama around that. But honestly, I don't care. Like, that's a good problem to have, have the defensive player of the year on our roster as well as Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, like, even if he comes off the bench, having a lot of great players in a deep rotation is something that we were missing last year, especially ones with experience towards, um, you know, those those closing finals games where a lot of our our young players like Pritchard were kind of looking a little shaky under the pressure understandably um having a guy like Malcolm Brogdon being able to you know be a steady hand and and still be able to let Jason Tatum control um like taking the ball up and not and whatnot but still be able to hit a three I love the move and I think that's it's it's I love Brad Stevens in the front office love what he's doing so far and um really excited for what that's going to bring to us next season. Yeah, I think it was a super, like a really good price to get. I think we talked about, I think the Pacers could convince themselves that Aaron Neesmith is basically worth it. Is, is basically like the Celtics are trading two first round picks for Brogdon in the form of Neesmith and an actual first round pick, um, which I don't know about that. I, having, I mean, watched Neesmith on like the brink of the rotation, uh, play like spot minutes, but, um, but just a couple, two things on the, the two Villanova players. Um, I, it looks like the Knicks are going to be uh, potentially fined for tampering with the Brunson deal because uh, Jalen Brunson's dad was is employed by the Knicks. And there's like some family ties in the situation that was like all over the news before the, this deal. This is like the headline of free agency before, you know, before the like, actual deals were allowed to be completed. And it looks like they might get fined for that, which is the most Knicks thing to do to like, I love Jalen Brunson, but like, Honestly, I think this is probably going to be an overpaying in the long run. Overpaying a point guard and then getting fined for it for them to, like, get a seven seed at some point. Like, it, it is, like, a super yeah. nice thing to do. 100%. Uh, and they traded, like, to, 
what's so funny is like to even bring in like I don't even know I could sit here and tell you that because to do this they had to dump Neurons Noel and Alex Burke's money to the Pistons like I'm not gonna tell you with a straight face that Alec Burks and uh, uh, Neurons Noel are like that much less impactful than just Jalen Brunson. And what's also crazy is like Tyus Jones got a two-year, thirty million dollar deal with Memphis. He's not thirteen and a half million dollars a year worse than Jalen Brunson at all. Like if like if anything, they're almost like comparable. So like like you're right, Noah. The fact that they did they had to dump players to even make room for his contract and also not sign a lottery pick this year to make this happen just seems like them committing to like perpetually being in the plan, you know? Yeah, the, this contract, like if if the if you switched out next with Mavericks, I think this deal makes so much more sense as like the like a final piece type contract. Like, hey, we're locking down Jalen Brunson, we're going like we're compete like solidifying a competitor, but no, it's the Knicks who are going to get exactly. fined for different. Um, but then also, I think the defense shins out of the Warriors is like a really sneaky. I think he's going to look really good with the Warriors potentially. I mean, he still has to like. I mean, he hasn't looked great the last year, year and a half, and he's been really struggling with injuries. But if there's a place where he can go, where he can recoup his value and really begin to stand out again, like the Warriors is the spot for him. So I really like that move from a, for him. And I, I think he could benefit the Warriors as well. For sure. And on that money, like, you know, I would have loved to see them retain Gary Payton just because I think he's one of those glue guys that every championship team needs. And I think he didn't get a crazy deal with Portland um, to where they couldn't have afforded to retain him. Um, but I think DiVincenzo is a pretty awesome flyer, like two years, nine million for a guy who's going to, who hit more than 40% of his threes after being acquired by the Kings last year, you know, like if he can rediscover redis- his like three point jump shot and play the defense he- he's always played. I mean, that's a pretty in- indispensable wing defender on a super cheap deal. So I, I love that both for the player. Like, I mean, there's no better place to like get your career back on track than with golden state. Um, so I love that. Um, where did, um, God, I'm forgetting. Um, I was surprised that, Marvin Bagley got $13 million a year from Detroit. Like he does not deserve that at all. Like he, he couldn't even crack the Kings rotation last year. And now he's getting like what? 40 million over three years. Like I just think like Pistons, what are you doing? Why do you need Marvin Bagley? All he's going to do is take the ball out of Cade and Ivy's hands and not play defense. Like, I don't know. One, 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 uh, the wolves got Kyle Anderson for two years, 18 million. I didn't mind that. Um, it looks uh, like Portland's going all in just to, as another observation. Like, it's weird though, because like I don't think they're like I Robert Covington, CJ McCollum, and Norman Powell, I think are better supporting casts than Jeremy Grant and Gary Payton. Like, I, I don't really get their end game. Like, they're not like substantial. Like, if they were able to get Kevin Durant, then I'd take all the back, but I don't think they like don't think Shaden Sharp is going to anchor a package for Kevin Durant. I was, uh, they need Shaden Sharp to like be very good for that team to be like actually competing. Yeah. I think, and then and then Anthony Simon. That's that's what I was thinking of. Anthony Simons gets a hundred million dollars for basically just eating minutes for a team that was tr- like visibly trying to lose. Like it's just NBA money is just so wild that I just like people are just throwing out like generational wealth at like the the off chance that a guy becomes like you know it's just i don't know i think it's just so wildy like the terms that are being thrown around um with all like the tv money and whatnot um i like, call, call my shot dame is gonna be on the move next summer i think he might request a trade you know like i mean he's and the thing is i think portland would have to honor it whatever he wants because he's been so loyal to the franchise it isn't like a KD thing where he basically forces his way to Brooklyn and then wants to leave like the minute. That's the thing with KD as well. I was like, I don't want to hear anything about legacy with KD. Cause it's like, you basically are admitting that you don't, when times get tough, you just want to leave. Like he's, he's already done it before with OKC and now he wants to play with two other all-stars and just, it's just, I don't know. I mean, you don't see the best of the best. Like, I think that, and this is just me, but I think there's a clear 
top, top, top tier of NBA players. And I think it's three players. I think it's Steph Curry, Giannis, and LeBron. And I think those three players, I'm, they're, when the times get tough, when things look bleak, when they don't win for one season, it's not just like, get me out of this. I want to leave. Trade me now. I demand a trade. It's let the, let the front office play out, you know, play your game, be great, and good things happen. And look, they're all, they're all, they're all NBA champions. So I, I think that's a big kind of factor to, to, to consider here. And um, wherever KD goes, again, like we've already said it, it's, they're not going to be substantially better than the Nets. So, Yeah, and Andrew, those three players that I just mentioned, they're all leaders. KD's just not a leader He's at a all. follower. And it's it's okay. He's great at doing that, but he's just not going to be the guy to lead a franchise to a championship. He's got to, yeah, like you said, he's a follower. He he followed Golden State to a championship after they just won one. And, you know, so we're thinking about, like, where is he going to end up? Chris Paul is a leader. He could be behind him. Uh, one thing I haven't heard of at all, and I don't know if there's a reason for this, but could he join up? You just mentioned Damian Lillard in Portland. He's definitely a leader. Um is that at all possible? Yeah. Well, like, yeah, it's just that I think um, – because I think Brooklyn, again, I think they're, they're, they're taking the best package from whoever they get. And I think the wild card here is the Warriors. As crazy as it sounds, like nobody in the NBA can beat a package of Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, and, and uh, Moses Moody. They just can't. I mean, those are three top-end lottery picks that they can just throw at whoever they want. Um, and I think the Nets are just – they're going to take the best package they can get regardless of who gives it to them. Him going back to Golden State would be the cra- – like, I, I don't – it would just break – it would break everything. Like, Brian Windhorst wouldn't be able to speak for 10 minutes. Yeah, like, or, or yeah. Nate Smith or any of them. Yeah. That would be crazy. I mean – after they won another championship without <laughs> without him, and then and then he would come back and request a trade from it all be just a circle. But I actually would love you like to your point, Kevin. I would love to see KD on the Blazers. I think him and Dame would be an awesome duo, just because like Dame is basically just like a easier Kyrie Irving to play. He just doesn't cause issues. He's a, he's just an awesome, loyal NBA point guard. And Katie's never like, but again, I think it would be the same. It, it would be the same issue as to why Katie left Golden State is because he knew it was Steph Curry's team and he wanted to run his own team. It's like the Blazers for as long as Dame is there, what are like Dame's team. So we'll see what happens with that. But that's fair. I don't know. That's all. I mean, that's all. Like, like, I really wanted to go over, guys. Like, is there anything else that you guys wanted to hit? Yeah, I think we did everything I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that was, cool. that was a great episode. A lot of stuff going on, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to tune back in here once more dominoes fall in the NBA. See, because I'm sure there'll be something going on pretty soon. Um, but yeah, if not, um, hope everyone had a good Fourth of July weekend. Um, and yeah, um, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.